Welcome back to KSCJ Radio, 1360 AM, 94.9 FM in Sioux City, Iowa. I'm Brian Vikulskis, and this is Having Read That, conversations with authors about their books. My guest is the New York Times bestselling author Matt Haig, and he is out with a brand new book. It's called The Comfort Book, and it is really on the heels of The Midnight Library, which was just a fantastic novel that came out, I think, a year or so ago and became a bestseller. And we're still reeling in the glow of that, Matt. But The Comfort Book, it's a different type of book. It's a lot of inspirational things. But there is a connection between The Midnight Library and The Comfort Book that I sort of kind of figured out as I was reading through this book. So can you kind of explain how this is a natural progression? Well, yeah. I mean, I finished writing The Midnight Library uh, March, 2020, and I almost went straight into writing the comfort book. <coughs> Excuse me. And it feels like there was a lot of um, overlap between the two. I mean, the theme of self-acceptance over self-improvement, I suppose, is one theme that connects the two, an embrace of imperfection, um, of our sort of messy human existence. Um, is definitely a theme of the Midnight Library, and it's certainly a theme extended upon in the comfort book. The comfort book sort of gave me space beyond the novel to actually get all that stuff out there. But there's, there's hints of it in the Midnight Library. There's hints of sort of philosophy and philosophizing. And this, the comfort book, I just wanted to sort of like run wild with those um, themes and put them in one place, hence. Um, the comfort book. But it's very, yeah, it's very uh, sort of companion piece, I suppose, to the Midnight Library in some ways. Well, you've been very open over the years about your suffering with anxiety and depression. And I think when you write a book like this, the comfort book, that people can take things from, you realize that you're not alone out there. People that suffer from this are not alone because there's a lot of people that have these same issues and just don't necessarily have the platform that you do to speak about it, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 it's funny because for years I was very coy and very shy about talking about anything I'd gone through um, as a younger man. Um, I still get bouts of anxiety now, depression not so much, touch wood, but um, yeah, I was very uncomfortable uh, talking about it for a long time until I wrote a book called um, Reasons to Stay Alive, which did pretty well in, in my country in the UK. Um, and once that happened, I, I, it just felt such a therapeutic, cathartic kind of thing to um, externalize all those internal things that um, even when I'm writing fiction now, I put a lot of that stuff in it, whether directly or indirectly. You know, there's certainly a lot of it in the Midnight Library. There's a lot of autobiographical stuff, um, which I can sort of use Nora as a shield, the central character in that novel, as a shield to sort of like explore um, stuff that I went through um, in my 20s, uh, having a breakdown with uh, panic disorder and depression. And um, yeah, I, I mean, the comfort book, I suppose, again, is, is kind of a mental health book, but I think it's less of a medical book than I've written before. It's not specific. I mean, it does draw on my experience with depression a little bit, but it's not specifically aimed at people going through mental illness. It's more around the general theme of comfort and stress and how we deal with stress and self-acceptance and all of those kind of universal things. So it's less of a uh, medical, um, mental health-specific book compared to, uh, you know, that earlier book, Reasons to Stay Alive. But, yeah, 
Um, I feel like this will be the last one, though. I feel like, um, I mean, I'm totally comfortable talking about mental health um, forever, but I, I also feel as a writer it will be interesting to um, mix it up a little bit and go back to writing about other things. And um, even maybe in terms of nonfiction, there might be new areas to explore. But I feel at the moment the comfort book was me sort of putting everything in there um, that I could think of uh, to almost draw a line in the sand, as it were, and um, move on. The finished product, it's, a, it's a, a conglomeration of a lot of different thoughts. Some are one line long, some are a couple pages long, a few paragraphs long. But when you wrote a book like this, you've got it broken up into four sections. But did you write it in one linear fashion, or is this uh, a combination of things that you've jotted down over the years that got you through a lot of tough times? Yeah, more, more of the latter, really. Um, it's definitely a book that you could pick up on page 79, and get as much out of it as page one. It's not, it's not a book you need to read in a linear fashion, and it wasn't written in a linear fashion. There is a kind of structure. There's a kind of subtle structure and subtle flow to it, but it wouldn't necessarily interfere with your experience of it if you, if you read it in a totally um, different order. Originally, I had this rather... Um, unwieldy structure for it, where it was going to be based around the four elements, the four sort of elements of the ancient world, so it was going to be fire, earth, air, water. And there's a little echo of those different four parts, um, but it's very slight. Really, I wanted this book to be um, something you could just pick off the shelf, um, open at any page, and hopefully get something of you, something short, clear, and easy, and that would be of help. Um, whether, you know, I succeed, I, I'll leave that to the reader to decide. But they were the sort of books that um, I certainly um, needed when I was at my illness. I used to have this book of um, quotations, which I used to just sort of dip into, because actually when I was ill, I found it pretty hard to read dense blocks of prose so also the layout was another thing that I was really determined to um, do in this way where you would have very short chapters, sometimes with a lot of sort of blank space around them and you'd just have a single line. Or, you know, I think the longest chapters in there are about four pages. And I definitely won't write like this for every book, but I thought for this book um, I wanted it to be as accessible and sort of comforting in terms of the way it's laid out as, as possible to you. Well, you know, as I read through it, you, I see quotes in here from Heraclitus. I see quotes from Marcus Aurelius. But then I, I think back to the John Hughes films of ni the 1980s, and you have a small chapter about the Ferris Bueller's Day Off, a movie I've seen maybe two dozen times over the years, thought I knew everything about it. And as I read it, you give a different perspective on that movie. It's not really about Ferris, right? Well, this is my hot take on Ferris Bueller. Yeah, I, I watched it recently, and I think it's about um, Cameron. I think... I used to think, I used to have a problem with Ferris Bueller as a character because he's quite, you know, on the surface, he's quite selfish and self-absorbed as teenagers can be, and he um, doesn't really seem to care about his friends. But if you view it from Cameron's perspective, um, Ferris then becomes the sort of inciting agent in, uh, in Cameron's recovery because Cameron um, is the depressed friend. He's sort of 
staring blankly into space. He's absolutely worried about his perfectionist pa- father and um, the sports car. And um, Ferris comes and disrupts the order of Cameron's stifled world. And um, so, yeah, it's kind of got a mental health element to me. I mean, I see, I see mental health elements in almost everything nowadays. So, you know, I, I see Winnie the Pooh as kind of like a, a mental health book where each of the characters in Winnie the Pooh um, represent different mental conditions. So you've got Eeyore, who's depressed. You've got um, Tigger, who's hyperactive. You've got Anxious Piglet. So, yeah, don't get, you know, I, I have a lot of hot takes about um, mental states being represented. But, yeah, I do, I see it as Cameron's, um, Cameron's film. Cameron's the interesting character for me because Ferris doesn't really change. You know, uh, a lead character normally goes through the change. But if you think about Ferris Bueller, Cameron is the character um, that goes through the change. So, yeah, that's my, that was my barstool um, monologue on Ferris Bueller. I'm chatting with the best-selling writer Matt Haig about his brand-new book. It's called The Comfort Book, and it's available now everywhere. It's a, it's a small book that will fit in your purse or your, your travel bag as you read and, and uh, as you travel around and can pick this up. You know, Matt, you, you talk about movies like Ferris Bueller, and there's different mental health themes that go on, and then there's also music that goes on. You're an artist. Do you think that the artists, as they write, are thinking consciously about these themes that they emerge, that you're able to pull out the mental mental health themes from a lot of these different shows? No, I don't think so. Well, I think, I think very often, I know from fiction writing, some of the best stuff you create is very um, unconscious and unthinking. My favorite quote about writing, actually, is from the French writer, Francois Sagan, who wrote um, Bonjour Tristesse back in the 60s, I think. Anyway, she, um, she said she has to write in order to think. And... Um, I'm a little bit like that too. Certainly, when I'm writing fiction, I'm like that. So, um, no, I think I think the writer often the best stuff is created sort of subconsciously without really fully understanding um, why you are creating what you're creating. You know, uh, people say, you know, Midnight Library. Where did that idea come from? And it's very hard to trace where ideas come from or why they appear or anything. But I think the fun of criticism and literary criticism and film criticism is, is as, a, as a viewer, as the outside person, as the reader, as the cinema goer, is to kind of analyze that stuff. And I definitely, I, I definitely am not saying, um, in the case of Ferris Bueller, for instance, that this is definitely what John Hughes intended. But I think it's a fun game as a, uh, as a, as a film lover to sort of put your own interpretations of them. Because I, I believe with books and with movies, there are as many different books and as many different movies as there are people who experience them. So that's part of the fun, I think. Some of us have gotten so used to writers and authors like you putting out the next great book and things like that. But, you know, I, I don't think a lot of us think of of artists as human beings because you have these emotional ups and downs the same as we all do i mean we we put you on a pedestal but we don't realize that you're human humans too and so when you work on a book like this are you is this an all-encompassing endeavor are you writing novels at the same time that you're writing this book or is this something that you had to get out before you could write your next novel yeah i mean i like this, to be honest, this felt like the most relaxing book I've written, and partly because of the, the, the theme itself and the subject, and I was just sort of sourcing the most comforting quotes I could find. I was thinking the most 
um, com comforting life lessons that I've learned and various things. It was just around the theme of comfort, partly because it was 2020 when the world seemed to be unraveling and COVID was dominating the he every headline. And I just wanted to sort of counterbalance that. I was wanting to sort of write the book I was wanting to read in that moment. Um, I also was very well aware, having just finished Midnight Library, and Midnight Library was starting to sort of like get a lot of interest and stuff. I, would, I felt it was quite nice to step away from that, to sort of do something entirely different. And in fact, with every book, I try and, you know, even though it's thematically linked, it's, it's intended for a different part of the bookstore. It's non-fiction, not fiction, and all of that. So um, I always try and find something new and get excited by something new when I'm uh, starting a new project or a new book. So there will be another fiction book. That will probably be the next book I write. I see myself primarily as a uh, fiction writer who dabbles occasionally in other things. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do see fiction as the day job. Um, the comfort book came out of fiction, even though it's non-fiction. Um, but I think without the Midnight Library, there wouldn't have been the comfort book. What I think is interesting is when I read a book like this, and I, I would imagine some people have this as well, is they'll, they'll read the they'll read a quote from you. There's something about life is short, be nice. It's a it's a short little line in in on one page of the book, and you read something like that, and you go, oh yeah, I know that. That makes sense. But so much of the stuff that we think is visceral, that we just look at as a as a as a line we probably don't always internalize that because we don't live it because so many of us suffer from these types of things. And so what is it that gets us past this whole idea of, well, yeah, I know that, to realize, no, we really don't know this and we need somebody to tell it to us? Um, yeah, well, that's uh, one of the things I wanted to do with um, this one is to actually make it as clear and as accessible as possible. And sometimes these ridiculously short little lines or aphorisms and as simple as possible. And um, I, the reader I always have in mind is actually the young version of myself who, who found it hard to read, who was also very pessimistic because I was experiencing depression. I was a very cynical young man in my 20s, um, you know, contemplating existence and, uh, yeah, physically unable to read things. And I'm always trying to sort of like find, a, almost tell that person from the perspective of my future self, you know, to actually remind that person that a lot of that pessimism that is swamping that young man's brain is actually as unreliable, if not more unreliable, than a kind of optimism, a kind of hope um, that is actually won from the, the bad times. It always sounds like a paradox, but I, I genuinely feel I've become a happier person through depression, not because depression was happy in any sense at all, but through the recovery from depression, um, the sense of gratitude that gave me, the sense of um, appreciation of the small things, uh, uh, and a sense of understanding about the positive side of uncertainty, the fact that we never know if something bad's happening to us, what potential um, good things will happen further down the line, and how they could link back to this bad experience. And you don't know any of that necessarily when you're first going through something quite traumatic. Um, so I'm often sort of really trying clearly to sort of hack into that brain that I, I kind of used to have. And um, 
yeah, you never know if you're entirely successful at that. But I feel it always helps to have what, rather than write for a general readership or write for every reader in the world, because, I mean, I don't even know how that would work, how you'd imagine writing something that's going to appeal to everyone in the world, um, to have one specific reader, often yourself in mind, and then if you're truly honest and um, truly uh, trying to communicate to that person, then hopefully in doing so you will also be communicating to other people too. There's so much to digest in this book, and we've just scratched the surface. The book is The Comfort Book. He's Matt Haig, the best-selling author and writer of it, including The Midnight Library. If you haven't picked that one up yet, pick it up too. Matt, just a fantastic offering. I took so much away from it, and I thank you for joining me to talk about it. Thanks so much, Brian. You're very kind. Thank you. This has been Having Read That on KSCJ Radio. I'm Brian Vakalskis. Check out all of our episodes on our website, kscj.com, and subscribe to our iTunes podcasts. Thanks to music historian Molly Jolly and segment producer John Weasler. We will be back next time. There will be an answer. Let it be.